Hello everyone. I usually don't do intros, but I thought I would just do one today. Um, we were having some technical difficulties with Zoom and I uh, kind of just went right into the interview. So I just wanted to give you a little heads up. Um, we uh, definitely talked about a whole bunch. Um, Ashley's brilliant and an amazing person who I cannot wait to see what she ends up doing with all the policies she's studying and um, the things she has planned for her future. So it was an exciting conversation. Um, we definitely discussed her sudden cardiac event where at 18 years old, she died um, and came back. And uh, naturally, um, if you are listening to this right now, um, I'm going to guess we're probably going to be releasing this sometime in March. We go over a lot of current events because a lot's happening right now um, with the coronavirus. Um, with those of us who have immune deficiency disorders, um, we definitely discussed um, sort of creating a balance in life between um, trying to make sure that you're protected and also still living. Um, and Ashley's a college student and there's a lot of living that Ashley wants to do. Um, so we have a lot of discussion about that. There is some discussion about medical PTSD. If that is an issue for you, um, please just be aware that it's something that we discuss. And um, we definitely went into that TikTok video that made the rounds. The nurse um, who was uh, very dismissive of patients in a TikTok video about um, how if someone's young, they obviously don't have a heart condition. They obviously just are something else, um, which I think was incredibly damaging. Um, anyway, I would definitely discuss that. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, if you're interested in our discussion about medical policy, listen all the way to the end. I can't remember exactly what time we started that, and I'm so sorry I don't have the energy to to work that out. And I do not have an intern for the podcast yet. Uh, Eva does have an intern for her part of the show, but I do not have one yet. So I'm sorry, I don't have the energy to look. But we did really go into the weeds, into medical policy, into the benefits and some of the downsides of Medicare for All. So if you want that, that's at the very end. Um, I hope you enjoy. Please be kind. <laughs> Right now, please, please be kind, be gentle with everyone, and in whatever way it looks like for you, be a badass. Um, take care. Have a great week, everyone, and uh, we'll be, I'll be back in two weeks. Tournament Enjoy. today, and then the things got crazy with corona and all this stuff, so. I was supposed to be flying out in two days, and we had to cancel our trip, so I, I hear you, the whole coronavirus thing, yeah, especially for those of us who are Already, yeah, our um, university just decided last night that, yeah, my university just decided last night that we're moving online. So now it's just as like a whole scramble to get all of our stuff and move out and all this stuff. So you mean move out of the dorms? Or are you? Yeah. Oh my God. I sorry you guys were all supposed to be like on, um, I'm sorry, you're, yeah, there we go. Steady. <laughs> <laughs> I get very dizzy when you're you're moving up and down on the video. Yeah, let me just move that to a stable thing. Give me one second. Yeah, I heard that like um, even Harvard was shutting down because of coronavirus. So you actually have to move out of your dorms. Yeah, they gave us the option to stay if in the dorms if students are housing secure. But I live in state, so there's not much purpose in me staying. So after this weekend, I'm going to be packing all of my stuff and going home. It's actually a bit of a maze in here right now because my stuff is everywhere. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. But yeah, of course. I was like, with your heart condition stuff, like this coronavirus is scaring everyone who has like already pre-existing conditions. Yeah, it definitely was a discussion with my parents last night about um, the trip I'm taking this weekend. But we decided to go through with it, and so, which is exciting. It's it's kind of a weird time. Like I feel like everyone's either minimizing or maximizing this. So it's so hard to like yeah. make your travel plans around like very little information. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we had to like last minute cancel. We we're supposed to be flying out on Friday, and it was like that. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, um, the trip I'm going on this weekend is a very self-contained. Um, you know, it's on a bus with students that I know have not coming to contact with the virus and in areas where I know I'm not going to be coming in contact with like the general public so it's a fairly safe trip and something that I feel secure and safe doing but there was certainly like up in the air for a long time depending on how long it was going to be and now that it's shorter it certainly is easier to justify as well. Okay well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I had alluded to a heart condition and um 
uh, please tell because like the heart stuff has become a big deal, especially after that TikTok video went out of the nurse making fun of a young person who came in with heart condition issues and right. being like, it's cocaine. It was like a lot of people actually have very serious heart conditions at a young age. Can you kind yeah. of express yeah, your no, story? I actually seen that video and it's very, um, certainly very personal to me because, you know, I had those symptoms and I died when I was 18. And so that's like a big thing that people really um, shouldn't ignore. Um, so basically what happened to me was I was at a hockey game and we were just hanging out. I was fortunate that I was still at the arena. We were hanging out um, in the Zamboni Bay after with one of my friend's parents and I just went down and I actually don't remember it. I don't remember about half an hour before it happened to about three, four days afterwards. Um, and I ended up, I believe I was tachycardic and I went into an arrhythmia and my heart was basically beating so fast that it stopped itself. And so I went into cardiac arrest. I think I arrested twice, I believe. Um, but I was fortunate. I was still at the arena. It was right after a hockey game. So the EMTs were still there. The team doctor was still there. And so they were able to very quickly get me to Yale, um, where, you know, there are a lot of very talented cardiologists and electrophysiologists and a very talented ER team. And so I'm fortunate to still be here three and a half-ish years later. So that's a great point you bring up is that you were near a world-class health facility and yeah. the incredible luck of having EMTs directly on the scene. It sounds like that was um, very time sensitive as far as. Yeah, definitely. Things would have been very different if I were at home. Um, I live completely on like the opposite side of the state. So it definitely would have been a very different type of medical scenario. But even if I had just been in my dorm, things would have been very different. Um, you know, not necessarily having that immediate access to uh, public safety, EMTs, stuff like that, um, potentially could have been alone in my locked room that no one could have gotten into. So it certainly is very fortunate that I was where I was. You talked about like, you don't remember this experience directly after. Um, I'm just trying to like, I, I understand that to a certain degree, but is, was that like part of the disturbing part for you? Was the like losing yeah. time and just everyone else is telling you about this experience? Yeah, that definitely is like a big part of it. Um, so I, I remember very distinctly just because I know which game it like specifically was after I went down, it was a Tuesday night, it was like 10 o'clock ish. So I remember from like 930. And then my brain just skips to like, Friday ish. And even then, because I was in a medically induced coma for, I believe, two days. Um, I was kept in um, therapeutic hypothermia. Um, and so even when they woke me up, there still is like the cognitive function was really not there. I was having short-term memory lapses every 20 to 30 minutes. So every 20 to 30 minutes, I would be asking why I was there, you know, what had happened. And they would have to tell me over and over again. Um, and it wasn't until the fifth, yeah, the Sunday that I was there that I finally was like, having, you know, retaining more memory and finally like becoming aware of what was going on. Um, and I was fortunate I recovered very quickly. I was only in the hospital for a week. Um, but there certainly, you know, because I was young and because I was fairly fit, um, I was a lot more fortunate and recovered a lot quicker. There are people certainly who are in worse condition than I am, who are older who, or who are dealing with more um, other conditions who certainly do not recover as quickly. Um, and for a lot of people, that cognitive function doesn't completely come back as well. Um, and that's like a big thing that um, they're just really starting to do research on when it comes to sudden cardiac arrest is not only the cognitive function because of the impact that, you know, losing oxygen and losing blood flow for however long, but also being in the therapeutic hypothermia. Um, the impact that that has on your brain and also the lack of psychological care for um, sudden cardiac arrest survivors because it is a very, very difficult thing to kind of render and contend with. And how have you dealt with that, with the mental health side of this? Um, so I actually have been in therapy since I was 15. Um, I've been seeing a therapist for anxiety and depression since I was in high school. Um, and so 
when I had had this, um, it was literally a month and a half into my first semester of college. And so my parents were able to get in contact with the therapist I had been seeing and she came down actually on that Sunday. Um, and so I've been seeing, seeing her on and off since um, and have since gotten a diagnosis of PTSD um, through both her and my PCP. Um, and so for me, I'm someone who therapy has worked for very well historically. I have been fortunate to have never been medicated for anxiety, depression, or anything like that. Um, and so as of right now, just continuing with therapy has helped me a lot. Um, but there's definitely some people who do end up going for those medications or who don't necessarily know what um, outlets they have or what paths they can take to get that psychological care because a lot of them don't necessarily realize that they need it because there is no discussion about that at, in the immediate afterwards of that arrest. Has there been anything that your therapist has told you about how to handle your PTSD that's been particularly helpful? Um, she and I work a lot on self-awareness and um, just being aware of which behaviors are being caused by the anxiety or the depression or the PTSD. Um, and so I have this one habit where like, I kind of freak out a little bit when, um, not freak out, but I get nervous when I have say a friend who is driving home and I know it takes this long and that she'll text me when she gets home, but it takes longer. And so I'll start to get nervous, like, oh my God, something happened to her. And that's when I'm like, okay, no, sit down. She probably like stopped for gas or something. Like she's totally fine. She'll text you, like just breathe a little bit. Um, and so it's just kind of, for me, it really helps to be aware of what behaviors I'm engaging in that are because of those mental illnesses and that mm. are kind of me working myself up for something that isn't necessarily real. That's, that's so hard to tell because you know, what happened to you is so surreal. Like how, yeah. it's, it's almost coming to terms with chaos. Like, mm -hmm. so yeah, for definitely. your, um, going back to school, how was that? Like, were your professors helpful or understanding when you missed that time and getting you back yeah, up to speed? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I was very fortunate. The friend who I was with, her dad is, works for our university. And so he was able to easily put my parents in contact with the Dean of Students, who was very helpful in making sure that, you know, I had extended time for assignments and that professors weren't holding um, late submissions against me and stuff like that. Um, and even that I had, because they have a certain deadline after the end of the semester, they have to turn in grades. And so making sure that I still had extended time to turn in assignments past the end of the semester um, if I needed to. And so that was very helpful. The university in general was just very, very helpful um, and certainly made me realize that I made a very good choice in coming here. Um, Do you want to give a shout out to what university you're at? Uh, I'm at Quinnipiac in Hamden. Um, in wow. <laughs> and they're, um, yeah, no, they've definitely have been fantastic. And I also get to see my EMTs on like a weekly basis because they are still, we contract through um, AMR, American Medical Rescue, which is out of North Haven. And um, so it's the same EMTs kind of in crews. And so the two, two of the three EMTs who are on that crew are at every Friday night hockey game. And so when I'm at every Friday night hockey game, I get to stop and say hi to them. So that's really nice. Um, and definitely is like helped a lot, I think. Does that help to go back to hockey games and kind of uh, redo routines that that remind you of things? Does that help push through? Um, it hasn't brought back any like memory of the event, which is good because I don't think I would want it to. Um, and I haven't been specifically in the area. I haven't been in that Zamboni Bay where it occurred. Um, but definitely like I was certainly nervous getting back into games at first. Like, oh my God, like is something going to set it off? Um, you know, because we still don't really know what caused it. And so it kind of at first was very hard to grapple with, oh my God, like what can I do and what can I not do and what things might set it off and stuff like that. Um, but it definitely has gotten a lot easier and it's, it's a nice routine to have. Um, I'm at the hockey game with the pep band and that's like my one big organization that I am involved in on campus. And so it definitely helps to like have that group of people that like 
at the very least, some of them know what happened and they're able to like keep an eye on things, even if I start to get a little like wonky or freaking out a little bit, like, oh my God, I'm getting anxious. <laughs> is, is that still something that you're dealing with? Is there still a physical fallout from, from the sudden cardiac arrest? Do you still have to like watch what you do or change your behaviors? Um, there certainly are certain things that I can't do anymore. I used to be a very active person. I was an athlete all through my childhood. Um, and that is just something that I really can't do anymore. I'm on beta blockers, which um, maintains oh. my blood pressure, which then maintains my um, heart rate, which is helpful. But um, even with those, there are times like I can't climb 20 flights of stairs. I can barely climb four flights of stairs. Um, and so there are certainly times where even just like, if I have to walk all the way across campus, I may have to stop and take a break. It just is like, and part of that's on me for not keeping up my endurance, even though I know that, you know, I could go to the gym and I could like, you know, get my endurance up by walking on the treadmill for 20 minutes or something. And that's not something I, that I've done. Um, but I definitely have noticed that there are certain things I could do before that I can't in terms of just like physical exercise and stuff like that. Do you want to explain to people who are not familiar with beta blockers what that side effects are? I, those are some extreme side effects. Yeah, I've been fortunate to not really have any noticeable side effects. I know that there are certainly people um, who have had SCAs who are on beta blockers that have more significant ones. Um, the one I'm on is the Toprolol. Um, and so, the purpose of beta blockers is to, like I said, maintain your blood pressure, which then maintains um, the heart rate. And um, fortunately for me, it does that. There's sometimes where like it doesn't, I'm trying to find the bottle. There's sometimes where it doesn't like kick in right away. Um, but for me, I, t I don't really have any noticeable strong side effects from it, which is okay. really good. Because I know that there are a lot of people that definitely do. Um, and I'm on five different medications at the moment. Um, not just for the um, heart stuff, but for other, you know, I have an autoimmune condition in my hands. I have um, one's a birth control. I have thyroid problems. And so there's definitely has been a lot of, I don't want to say research, but a lot of attention is paid to the different interactions. And so um, putting me on the metoprolol was very deliberate because that one would has fewer interactions with the um, other medications that I take. And so I think that's probably part of why I have fewer side effects. Okay. Yeah, just birth control. There's a, a lot of sound going right there. Ooh. So with um, birth control pills, that's, that's a whole nother thing to like try to understand where your doctor's really helpful and like helping you understand the interactions with, with all of those. Is there yeah. enough research? Yeah, my PCP especially because I've I'm still, because I'm only 21, I'm still seeing my pediatrician for the next four, four months until I turn 22. <laughs> um, and she kicks me out. It's a weird out. adult thing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I've seen her pretty much my entire childhood. And so she has a very good grasp on, you know, the issues that I had, you know, as a kid and growing up and just what my medical history is and on what my mom's medical history is and which we have very similar issues that we have going on um and so she especially does a lot of work to make sure that the medications that i'm taking are things that are going to be safe and the fewest side effects as possible um and i do get my birth control through her i don't currently see like an OBGYN or anything um and so i think i'm currently on like my fifth different one that we've tried just because you know you know with birth control there are different side effects of those and all that stuff so I was one of the unlucky like one percent that almost died from Depo Provera. Like, oh, it yeah. was brutal. Uh, yeah, yeah there, I did. I, I did ask for the Depo Provera at one point, and she was like, "Yeah, I don't think so. Medication you have... in your system for three months are not a good idea for you." I was like, "Darn." I mean, it's an awesome drug if that's like if you don't right. have autoimmune or mast cell issues. Like, that is the one. But wow, if you have mast cell, like it can. Yeah. Yeah, and so we're going to go over some of the other um, disorders you have, but I wanted to, before we left it, um, I felt emotionally traumatized watching that TikTok video, and I yeah. didn't have that personal experience. I've had plenty of not being believed, lots of medical mm -hmm. PTSD, but you actually lived that. Is there anything you want to say about that video? Yeah. Like, 
Well, so my experience was slightly different in that, you know, I wasn't walking into the ER with chest pain. I was in the ER half dead on a gurney, which is a little bit different, but it certainly (laughs) has been like, you know, the, whenever I go to a new doctor, the first question is always like, oh, I see this heart thing on your medical history. What's that about? And I'm like, yeah, well, I had a sudden cardiac arrest, you know, I actually was not alive for like five minutes of my life. And so it definitely is like, not necessarily a doubt thing, but there certainly is like a scrutiny with, oh, you were 18. Like that doesn't make sense. Um, And so, and especially with, you know, the symptoms that people commonly tell you for like heart attacks are symptoms based on men and, you know, women have completely different symptoms um, and stuff like that. And so it's very damaging and very dangerous for nurses especially to be putting sending around this rhetoric that oh if you don't have textbook definition if you're not within a certain age range if you don't look a certain way then obviously you can't have this condition or you're just looking for drugs or stuff like that it's like well no something is actually could be wrong and if you're doing your job as a nurse you should be investigating that before you're suspecting people of trying to get drugs or stuff yeah and what were some of the symptoms you had for your what were some of the symptoms that you had for your your heart i genuinely have no idea because yeah. <laughs> 30 um, minutes before i'm sorry yeah blanked I, on that. I really don't remember the lead up and um all that i know about when i actually went down was that i just kind of grabbed my friend and told her that i didn't feel good and then i just kind of passed out um and i really don't actually know what other symptoms i had um, aside from the obvious arrhythmia. Um, and so it's weird because it's like, I don't know what to look out for, but at the same time I do kind of, because I still get some of those, not necessarily, um, indications of an oncoming arrest, but certainly things, you know, shortness of breath and tightness in the chest that can be indicators of, oh, your heart rate's getting a little bit fast. And so it's, Definitely was probably some things like that, um, but I really am not sure. Did it help to have people there who were able to sort of piece together what happened for you, or did you just step away from that? Um, Yes and no. There are certainly times that I wonder, like, what, you know, what did happen and what sort of things were going on. But on the other hand, I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to relive it. you know, there, I, there, I know are a couple of pictures of me from when I was in the hospital and I refuse to like look at them. Um, I know my dad has one that I've seen and I'm like, no, get rid of it. I don't want it. I don't want it near me. Take it away. Um, and it's just, is like not something that I really want to go back to or deal with. Um, so there certainly have been like conversations that I've had with that friend who was there or with my sister or my parents about, you know, what they felt and, you know, how their experiences compared with what I remember, because there are certainly like a lot of anecdotes that, especially my sister has told me that I just plainly don't remember. Um, And so some of that stuff is nice to have context of like where things were going throughout the week um, in comparison to like where I was out throughout the week, but like the actual event and actually what happened, I really don't want to know about that. Are you finding it um, that you are on your own pace on emotional recovery and other people are on a totally different pace of your emotional recovery? Or are you I, finding it hard to set those two together? It's like two completely different paths because I have the experience of being the one who went through it and everyone else has the experience of being the ones who watched it. And so m- me being the one who went through it, it is like, just as traumatizing to not remember it and to have this entire like week-long gap in my memory as it is for everyone else who remembers it like every explicit detail um and you know down to the second and so it's just as like kind of grappling and trying to line up where what I remember and where the gaps in my memory are with everyone else's like this is what happened and this is like the timeline because I don't have the timeline at all it's um it's two different kinds of emotional trauma right so 
you're also dealing with this wasn't enough. Um, yeah. You also get um, so many more, and I, I was uh, reading through them. Um, it, it was it was quite a morning going through all of the the yeah. things. Um, but I was wondering, if, are some of these related to this, or are all these completely separate? Because there's, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but mm -hmm. scleroderma. Scleroderma. Yeah. Um, so that's the and, only. Yeah, that seems like the only like not one, but the, there's like hypothyroidism, uh, migraine clusters, and then of course all the emotional, and then ADHD, which is uh, I, I'm guessing separate. But um, this is yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. So the hypothyroidism was actually the first thing I was ever diagnosed with when I was like mm, 10, 11 ish. I went in for a physical for summer camp, and they she the doctor caught a goiter and. I have hypothyroidism, and so I've been on medication for that since I was like 10 or 11 years old. Um, and so that is something that I don't necessarily think was in play with this. Um, the one thing that we do think was in play actually may have been the scleroderma, which I didn't get diagnosed until about a year and a half ago. Um, and that's a arthritic condition where it's basic arthritis symptoms, but like the one main symptom is that like your skin where in the affected areas gets stiff and gets hard which is not a symptom that i necessarily have because this mainly for me it mainly affects like my wrists and my hands um but there is potential for the that stiff tissue to appear in other parts of the body and so they think that there's a possibility that the stiff tissue may have appeared on my heart and that that is potentially what could have caused oh, wow. the arrhythmia. Um, and that is something that may have been there for a while. Um, I've had joint issues in my knees and in my ankles since I was in middle school. Um, middle school soccer really did me in and then I decided to play volleyball, which didn't help. Um, <laughs> and so any, any number of those issues could have been caused by that um, arthritic condition. And so we're really not entirely sure. I've had a couple of chest x-rays that have been kind of inconclusive. Um, so that may be the one thing that was at play there. We're not really sure. Um, and there also, I do have a slight family history of um, cardiac issues. My grandfather has had a number of widowmakers. I think we have two widowmakers at this point. Um, my other grandfather who passed away when I was nine, he had um, on top of diabetes, he had cardiac problems as well. Um, my aunt, my dad's older sister, passed away when I was 14. They didn't do an autopsy, but it was very sudden. And so they think that that may have been um, a sudden cardiac arrest. She was only like 49. She wasn't very old. Um, and, you know, fairly young in terms of what people consider normal age for cardiac events. And so there's all of that as well, too, that may have been in play. So with your... Um... I'm just thinking as a student, I, I was student way before all computer, like laptops mm -hmm. were just starting to be a thing when I was in college. Um, are you able to use some of this new technology for handwriting? Um, yeah. I would think the notes would be brutal. So it's definitely <laughs> some tips helpful. for those. Yeah, I had actually reached a point last year, right about the same time as I was diagnosed. So like September-ish of 2018, um, where I was trying to handwrite notes and I just couldn't because my hands were shaking so bad and it got to the point where I literally just couldn't write anymore. Um, and so I've since transitioned to using a laptop and taking um, virtual notes, Microsoft Word notes um, in the majority of my classes. You know, there's still every once in a while where I'll have to quickly handwrite something. And um, definitely with the medication that I'm on for the scleroderma, it's helped a lot. Um, and I have gotten a lot of that like steady function back in my hands. Um, but it certainly like was a struggle for a while there with being like, oh my God, I can't write anymore. Like what, what do I do now? And so definitely like having that laptop function in class has been very, very helpful. I, I, I'm a little jealous. That's, that's an <laughs> awesome thing to have. I just was an English lit major. So after finals, mm -hmm. we'd be writing like four pages for finals. Yeah. And I have Eller stainless in my hand. I'd have mm -hmm. to try to open it around the pencil. So I'd mm -hmm. like walk around campus with a pencil in my hand because I couldn't open it and take the pencil out. So that's, that's a very helpful. The technology is awesome now. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I was like wearing carpal tunnel braces on both hands all all the time last year. And, you know, with that, it's like almost impossible to grip a pencil, let alone write. And so, um, you know, I could write with those on, but it was like one word at for like every 30 seconds. It was like not, you know, very slow going. And so for taking classes for a lecture, absolutely was not functional. So definitely having laptop capabilities and even like I have an iPad where it's like hunt and poke is even much easier than trying to handwrite. And are you able to get the help you need for like getting around campus, getting uh, to and from places or is that a, a fight to get like the disability placard or elevator access? Um, elevator access has been easy enough. I currently don't drive to campus. Um, we have a shuttle stamp shuttle service in between because we have three different campuses um, one that is all academic which is grad one that is all residential for upperclassmen and then one that is mixed underclassmen residential and um, undergrad classes so for me i live on the upper under upperclassmen campus and so i shuttle to and from campus every day which is nice so that i don't have to um, worry about parking and worrying about walking across campus and up and down hills and that sort of thing that um, that does put stress on my heart and makes it harder for me to function. Um, elevator access has been fairly simple. Um, sometimes the elevators are slow, but there's not much you can do about that. Um, the, our university is definitely very, our Office of Student Accessibility is very equipped and they're very willing to help students and all of the professors as well are very like even if you don't have like approved accommodations for certain things, if you're like, well, I'm in process with this, or I don't have a doctor for this right now, things like that, then they're very willing to work with you, even if you don't necessarily have like the, oh, OSA says that you have to, like, this is my 504 type of thing. So. I was just uh, meeting with someone for coffee, and he was saying that there's no healthy people, that they're just temporarily abled. And mm. I was thinking about that as I was watching this um, story go viral of a girl who, is in a wheelchair and her campus is completely not accessible so she has to mm -hmm. sit at the very top of the stadium basically mm -hmm. and try to like hear everything and try to take notes on her lap you know like it's just mm -hmm. it's a really intense experience so i was thinking well, when you're going to look at campuses this is probably something that students and parents of students might want to really consider is that everyone's sort of temporarily abled eventually almost all yeah. of us are going to have issues sooner or later and unfortunately sometimes while you're in school so if the schools aren't ADA accessible that's definitely mm -hmm. a, a factor to consider. Yeah and it definitely wasn't something that I considered prior to what happened um, prior to the SCA which has happened you know five six weeks into my first semester at college and so it definitely was like something that I maybe should have paid a bit more attention to but no one expects that sort of thing to happen to someone who is 18. You know, no. even, even, you know, even myself and even other people that I've talked to who have had and survived sudden cardiac arrest are like, yeah, that's, you won't expect that to happen to someone who's 18 and you don't expect to become disabled and become someone who needs those accessibility things at the age of 18, barring something like maybe a car accident or some sort of temporary injury. Um, and so that definitely is like something that I think a lot more people should consider because it's very, I don't want to say common, but it certainly is like something that can happen to young people. And it's something that, you know, you don't spring back from right away. I just wonder how different our policies would be, how different our policies would be and how different our architecture and the new architecture that's built would be if we started thinking of the terms of people are temporarily abled. Like if we mm -hmm. just consider that everyone, every single person can become a part of this community and most likely will at some point. Like it's, mm -hmm. I, I just think that we would do much better if we like just started from that viewpoint. Yeah, certainly. I remember reading a story one time. I don't remember what city it was. I think it was somewhere in California maybe where they had like, decorative hedges along all of the sidewalks separating the sidewalk from the road um and how when they were you know when the architects were standing up at their you know five foot six foot whatever height they was fine they could see over them they could see the road but as soon as they lowered themselves to like a child's height they couldn't see the road and there it became a lot more dangerous um and so i think 
if, if people took those sort of considerations for children, for people who are in wheelchairs and so lower to the ground, for people who can't necessarily walk up a giant flight of stairs, um, those sort of things that that would be a lot, you know, we would have a lot more accessibility and it, things would be a lot easier for people who are abled as well. Yeah, that's so true. Like, it's not just for us in wheelchairs. It's also like, it would be just safer. Like if you're right. walking around and there's not just something that you can trip over. Like mm -hmm. everyone seems to be on cell phones talking. I know this because everyone ends up in my lap when I'm out in my wheelchair and like, I just end up with, you know, hello. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to meet new people. It's, it's super fun. But like places that like even architects get sort of like, uh, I don't want to say mean spirited, but just very focused on like, the society is very uh, lazy and we need to walk mm -hmm. upstairs more. So they'll develop these like buildings that are all stairs to prove a point. And it's like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right, so we'll not be visiting this, you know, space. Like, and, you know, our public system, I'm in California and our public mm -hmm. train system is completely non-accessible. The, the mm -hmm. elevators do not work most of the time. So it's yeah. just, you know, yeah, it's another way to, to keep everyone away from from things sorry that was my soapbox i will get off of it now um, <laughs> no, it certainly is like a, a big concern and um you know it's easier to just make things accessible and not you know have to worry about an ada lawsuit or something later um and certainly like i see like on the internet all the time like there will be people making fun of like those made for tv things like you know stuff for people to be able to like pull on their socks. They'll be like, mm. that. who is lazy enough that they can't bend down to put on their own socks? It's like, well, there are people with conditions where they can't bend down to put on their own socks. You know, there are <laughs> elderly people who can't bend down to put on their own socks. And you know, one day you might not be able to bend down to put on your own socks. And so it's like, even if you don't need those things now, at some point you most likely will. And you know, it's just it's easier for everyone if you have those things in place already. Yeah, and there's also the shaming of those who are using things who do not visibly present as disabled and the issues of, um, yeah, you know, someone who I'm sure you've probably had a few eyebrow raises when you're because you do not present as right. sick and, you know, it's those uh, photos that go viral of someone like standing up from their wheelchair. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, this, this has to stop. <laughs> like, yeah, people need to become like more aware. Certainly have gotten the eyebrow for like using the elevator for one, you know, one floor. It's like, well, there's four flights of stairs in between these two floors. I yeah. can't do that today. Um, and, you know, I even get some of it from not necessarily both of my parents, but certainly from my dad, who is a little bit more of the, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you know, blue collar type of hard work type of guy. And um, he certainly is like, well, it happened and it's over and you're fine now. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not fine now. And not only am I not fine now, I also have this thing and this new thing and that new thing all on top of it. And I just am, can't do some things. You know, that was our big discussion this weekend with this trip that I'm taking um, was, you know, I am now immunocompromised. I am immunosuppressed because of the medications I take for the scleroderma. And so what are the concerns that we have with traveling and on top of that i am also a cardiac patient and so all of these different concerns about you know taking just a one-day trip to new jersey is like you know nothing like i ever imagined and certainly this is like the first big time that that um condition of my immune system has really kind of impacted whether or not i can do something which is something that i'm going to definitely have to get used to at least for the next couple of years until we see you know, whether this medication is actually um, something that I am going to have to continue to be on for the rest of my life, if it's something I can come off of in five years, some, that sort of thing. So. And what kind of um, decision-making process are you making of, like, protecting yourself versus living? Yeah. Um, for this trip in particular, so this weekend is our... Um, basketball team uh, tournament for their conference end of the year to go into the NCAA tournament. Um, and so with the pep band, we travel with them. And so like the big concern was like, because Connecticut declared a state of emergency yesterday, New Jersey declared one on Monday, I believe. And so with those state of emergencies, what is the actual risk affecting Atlantic City, which is where the tournament is? What is the actual risk of, you know, 
have there been cases? There have there been cases in that county, in that area? Um, what is the likelihood of me coming into contact with the general public? Um, you know, what precautions is the city taking against the virus? You know, what precautions are the hotels taking and stuff like that? Um, and what precautions can I take to make sure that I am protected as possible? And so fortunately it's sort of trip where I'm getting on a bus in Connecticut and driving straight through New York and getting off a bus in, at, in South Jersey where there haven't been reported cases thus far. Um, and you know we're in a participants only part of the arena there where we're not in contact with the general public, we're just in contact with ourselves and the teams and the arena officials, all of whom are you know, taking extra precautions because of how high risk of an event this is. Um, and you know we're not planning on doing any mm -hmm. sort of team dinners out to restaurants because of this risk. We're you know getting pizza in our hotel and that sort of thing. And so because we have those things in place where it's kind of a very encapsulated trip that made it a lot easier to be like, okay, I'm going to go and do this and then I'm going to go and sit at home for the next two months to finish my semester. <laughs> um, and so that I think made the decision as well as like, well, this is kind of the last hurrah because, you know, with classes being online and with most people being off campus, the chances of them sending us to Lake Placid with the hockey team and sending us to other places is fairly low now. And so this kind of is like, the last hurrah and almost made it a little bit worth it for that risk as well. I, I absolutely hear that. We're, uh, my father's uh, heart and uh, very immune compromised and we're trying to be very careful even like who goes and visits them. Do they have children mm -hmm. who are completely vaccinated is one of our mm -hmm. big like questions of anyone who's going to visit him. Like we have to be so careful if people are vaccinating their kids who are going to be anywhere near. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's a very different thing that you have to think everything about like my mom's down to like lysoling everything that's coming into the mm -hmm. house from like the grocery store <laughs> like all boxes yeah. are getting completely scrubbed down. My dad down. sent me like this whole article yesterday about um patients who are like uh cardiac patients or who have blood pressure issues about how like you need to make sure you're fully vaccinated for like the flu and bacterial pneumonia because there is like that comorbidity with the virus and how you know, you need to make sure that your blood pressure is managed and how you have extras of all your medications if you're going to be going anywhere just in case. And I'm like, okay, good thing I do all that stuff already because <laughs> my mom is a nurse. And so she's always like, did you get your flu shot? Did you get your flu shot? I'm like, it's, they have, it's August. They haven't even started the flu shot yet. But yes, I will get my flu shot. <laughs> but. So I have a weird question for you. Um, I'm in my 40s and getting really sick meant that all of a sudden i was treated like a teenager by my parents again like it was like this complete backslide i had kids i'd run businesses all of a sudden i was 13 they were going to give me mm -hmm. all the advice tell me what to do about every little mm -hmm. thing in my life how was that when you just became an adult like how right. it was certainly kind of frustrating in the hospital now i'm grateful for it but at the time i was very frustrated by it because i had my birthday is in the middle of September and this happened at the end of October. So I literally had been 18 for like a month. And um, like I said, my mom is a nurse. And so in the hospital, every single question, every single like approval was directed to her. And it wasn't because she was my mother. It wasn't because she was a nurse. It was because I didn't have the cognitive function to actually process those questions and make decisions for myself because I only had a memory lapse of like 30 minutes. Um, and so that's something that at the time I was very frustrated by because it's like, well, I'm an adult, I should be able to make my own health decisions. Um, but I really couldn't at the time. Um, and so since then, my, you know, at first when I got out of the hospital, it was like, call us every day, we want to check in, we want to make sure that you're okay. And then it was like, why are you calling us? Call us every other day. And then like once a week. And now I talk to my parents like on a fairly bi-weekly basis. My dad will call me when he's on his way home from work. So I talk to my mother like once every three months just because it's like, oh, well, I talked to the parents this week when it was really just dad. Um, <laughs> but, and so now when it comes to things like this, I do definitely like put a lot of stock in what they say because, you know, they are older. They do have like the experience with how, you know, especially my mother works in elderly care. She works um, with a visiting nurse. So she sees a lot of older patients and end of life patients and therefore a lot of immunocompromised patients. And so she has a very educated perspective on how things like this virus impact you know, people who are immunosuppressed. And so having that perspective and having you know, the discussion we've been having over the last couple of days about this trip has certainly been like very helpful. 
Um, and so, um, you know, I'm still the person who like brings my mom to all of my doctor's appointments because it's like, she's a nurse, she knows what to ask. I don't know what to ask. Um, and so that condition of her being a nurse, I think makes it a little bit different for me. Um, but it certainly is like, right now it's helpful. I think five, down, five years down the road, I'm gonna be like, okay, I, I'm, I'm good now. <laughs> I, you know, if it makes you feeling better, I'm in my forties. I still have my mom because she's better at asking the questions. Like I go mm -hmm. into like headspace and I can't always focus and I get mm -hmm. worried and she can stay on it. So if it makes right. you feel any better, I, or if it just makes you have a laugh, I'm in my forties. She's the one who goes with me to, to have another person who's accountable, staying focused on the questions. Yeah. And that certainly is like something we've been because there's the potential that you know after graduation I will be theoretically moving to DC and so that's fairly far away from pretty much anyone in my family most of them are in Connecticut or Massachusetts and so it's definitely is like a big consideration of like you know how do I go about finding doctors how do I go about making sure that I'm receiving the same level of care as I'm receiving here through Yale or through my PCP and stuff like that. And so that certainly has been like an ongoing discussion. And thankfully through the ACA, you still have your parents, uh, right. parents for a few more years. So that's really, I, I, again, I'm jealous. We did not have that when I was 18. Yeah. I went right off my parents' insurance at 18. So that's, that's fantastic that you have yeah, that. Yeah, it certainly is. And I want to go into the healthcare lobby. I'm a political science major. And so awesome. I- yeah, I did my um, internship in transportation lobbying. I kind of really fell in love with that mode of making change because I think it's a bit more effectual than just you know, getting into legislation. Um, and so I want really want to go into healthcare lobby. And I was talking to my dad about it a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, "Well, you know, what what's like the personal gain for you?" I was like, "Well, when I turn 26, I'm not going to have your insurance anymore." And we have really good union insurance, which is really fortunate, but I turn 26, if we don't have the ACA in place or if we don't have some sort of Medicare for all type of thing, some sort of universal type of thing where it's going to be a lot easier for me to get coverage, then I'm going to struggle a lot to get coverage that I can pay for and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's just something that like isn't even on his radar. Whereas it's something that I'm like worrying about every single day. And so I'm surprised <laughs> Your care My mom was there and she was like able to back me up and she's like, yeah, no, when she turns 26, I'm like, yeah. yeah. And just that event would have been in yeah. the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, if mm -hmm. your parents hadn't had insurance, it would have, their house would have been, a lien would have yeah. been attached to their house in the emergency room if Absolutely. they didn't have that insurance. So it's, yeah, I totally hear you there. And I'm so happy to hear that you're, you're going into this field. Is yeah. there something like, is there like one thing that you're like super excited to like your dream to like, my big dream is to eventually become a city planner to mm -hmm. create like open spaces and like accessible spaces. What's your like big dream with your policies? Like, is there a thing you really want I, to get through? I just really want to see some sort of universal healthcare system pass. And that's actually what I'm doing my um, senior thesis project on right now is which mode of universal healthcare is the most effective for the, the United States to try and implement. Um, what have you found? From, um, I found that a lot of it tends toward that single payer, which is the Medicare for all that um, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and all of them are kind of pushing is, and that's an easier transition because that transitions to a system where the government acts as the only insurer, but the hospitals and the physicians are still private. They're not owned and run by the government. So it's only an overhaul of like one half of the system instead of the entire system. Whereas like a socialized system like the um, National Health Service in the UK is all the hospitals are all owned by the government. The doctors are all employed by the government. And so that is like an overhaul of the entire system. Whereas like single payer is only like the one side of it, which is a bit more, I don't want to say easier to, to transition to, but it's less to try and tackle at one time. What are some of the problems you could see with that? Um, certainly like wait times, cost. Um, a lot of, you know, if you look at um, Canada and you know, they are our biggest, easiest comparison because they do have that single payer system. And so they do have issues with wait times. Um, and there certainly would be an increase, most likely in the taxes that we pay and stuff like that, um, which 
people are not going to be happy about. Um, but it certainly is like, there's definitely still a lot to figure out about it. And I don't really foresee it being something that's possible this year or next year. Um, I really, um, yeah, this is me getting a little bit political. I really was like, have down. you listened to the show? I mean, yeah. we, we do politics. I really was like down and hard for um, Elizabeth Warren before she dropped out because oh. she had a comprehensive plan on how to pass it without raising taxes and you know making it as cost effective as possible. And you know, I don't foresee Senator Sanders, you know, taking on that plan necessarily. So if if he gets the nomination. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Interesting is a good word. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you there. I, yes, for my own heart, I've stopped watching after she dropped out. I just, yeah. I'm I like, wow, I will, <laughs> I will sit I, I out. I can't disengage fully, but I certainly have been like taking a break from it all. And it helps that it's spring break right now and I don't have to look at it if I don't want to. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, I've been into a lot of discussions with people. We're like, you know what? At this point, do what mm -hmm. you can in your community. Focus your attention yeah. on what you can actually change, what you can actually help, and stay focused there. Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot going on right now. We have no control over, and I think that we can kind of fetal position if we feel ineffectual. So if we can focus on on doing the best we can for those that we can actually do things for maybe we can all uh, get out of our, our uh, depression in MLAs uh, as a nation and yeah. start helping out, see what we can do. Is there's a lot of, of ick right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I'm still certainly like, I had another conversation with someone yesterday about you know, why young people even are like, because young people are being profiled as like immediately being like the most liberal one for Bernie Sanders and stuff. And, you know, there are certainly young people who aren't. There are people who, you know, are, young Republicans, there are people who on the Democratic side are for Joe Biden, people who were Warren supporters who are not immediately going to Bernie Sanders. And so we had a conversation about that. And, you know, for me, a lot of it is like, I'm very hesitant because I don't really necessarily agree with Joe Biden at all, but I don't really think that Bernie Sanders can get elected. You know, I, I don't think that he is someone who, if he gets the nomination, you know, that GOP power is all going behind all of their Senate candidates. If we don't get the Senate, we can't do anything. So yeah. And hey, anyone who's upset with us about talking politics on a health show, <laughs> this is our lives. Like right. literally, this is whether we live or not. Like, I mean, you have your parents' health insurance. My husband's health insurance got cut down to almost nothing. Oh. So I can't, and I have a heart condition which mm -hmm. mimics heart attacks. So I mm -hmm. can absolutely have all the heart attack symptoms. But if I go into the hospital and they're like, that's eh, just a POTS attack. My insurance can just decide we're not covering that. And right. even if they do cover it, it will only cover 85% of that. Mm -hmm. Once we get to $6,000 and each insurance visit minimum is usually around like five figures. So for them to do the testing is going to be at least 10 to $20,000 and we have to pay 85% of that. And that's not even being admitted. That's just to see if I have a heart attack or not. So like, as we're talking about these politics, things. We're not trying to influence anyone's vote. We're just saying that this is the reality of being sick in the United States and mm -hmm. the way things are going. I was not kidding when I said her parents would have had a lien put on their house. That is what is yeah. actual policy that insurance, that if you don't come in with proper insurance and you're in the emergency room for very high level things, they will absolutely, if you own a house, put a lien on your home. And that's how hospitals build a lot of wealth is they grab a whole bunch of homes in the surrounding area. Something to definitely check out if your state allows, yeah. by the way, just really, you want to know this. Like, yeah. trust, trust me, you want to know if that's true or not in your state. Um, so I just wanted to like put that out there and I'm not advocating don't vote. What I'm advocating mm -hmm. is if you are curled in a fetal position right now and you're like, I don't know what to do just see if you can be helpful to, to the surrounding world. I'm not saying anything about not voting, not being involved. I'm just saying if you are losing your mind, you can focus community-wise. Yeah, certainly local, local elections are so much more important than people think. But they yeah, are. I got very, very lucky with the insurance, actually, because my dad had, he had worked um, selling heavy machinery for like 15 years. And we had not terrible but not great insurance through that um it was through like one arm of blue cross blue shield mm -hmm. and then he in may switched jobs and was then um took over control of a company and um so our he then switched insurances because he was on a new union then um which then 
didn't go into effect until July. And then fortunately, three months later, or that insurance coverage was there and we had that and it was much better than what we had before. So we really were very, very lucky with how much they were willing to cover and everything. It didn't put us out as much as it could have. I mean, that's huge. So many people lose their homes, they lose their retirement savings. I like that is that is a serious, amazing stroke of luck. I'm really happy for your family. Yeah. And I, I it like I he isn't as aware of it as he should be. Like, you know, if I had, you know, if this had happened six, seven years in the future after I'm off of his insurance, I would have gone broke. I I don't really know what I would have done. Um, and so it certainly is like a very big consideration in my mind, um, you know, even though, you know, I definitely am like for Medicare for all and certainly want to see something like that pass, you know, the current Medicare for all bill has less than 25% um, support in the Senate right now. And so that's not necessarily something that's going to happen right away, but hopefully- Which like, is interesting because all years. of them, all of the senators, they all have complete health care. Right. Like they get to make this choice for all of us while they have what we're asking for. I mean, we're not even asking for as good as they have, but like that they yeah. wouldn't want their constituents to have the benefit that they have. And in a country that the big myth is you work hard, you succeed. Mm -hmm. The ways that we fail here in this country are not about working hard or being a good citizen. It's about getting sick and not having the health insurance you needed or a good enough coverage of health insurance it's about like there's so many it's about trying to get a good education you yeah. know it's uh, there's a lot of ways for us to fall down that are the antithesis of what this was all supposed to be about you know and that, that's the interesting thing about like this pandemic now and all the um push to you know have people self-quarantine is all of these senators can afford to not work for 14 days because they're still getting paid whereas most of their constituents if they don't work for 14 days they could lose their job and so it's or like the, uh, yeah like you have all the people who are you know working in um care homes and yeah they are not they have no days off they have no mm -hmm. like most of the people are taking care of your grandparents or sick mm -hmm. people like they do not have this so they're coming in very sick and there's nothing right. that they can do about that they can't stay home they won't right they won't be able to, they'll get kicked out. Like there's so much going on right now that's like really showing how not having this Medicare for all is incredibly dangerous to the entire population. Like, yeah, it certainly is exposing massive gaps in our healthcare system that, you know, I, I don't think that we can get away with ignoring anymore. Um, and no, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it affects every part of life. Like our, Connecticut confirmed their second case at um, a nurse who works at Bridgeport Hospital. She lives in um, a, she lives in another town further north in the state, which is part of a regional school district. And because she had the virus and that came into contact with her children, that entire school district is now shut down for cleaning because they have no idea how long she had had the virus before she came into contact with her kids if they potentially are spreading it to other people. And so now it's not only affecting this nurse at this hospital and her family, it's also affecting this entire school district that can't open for, I think they closed until the end of the month, until the 29th maybe. I don't know, there's a couple of different school districts that are closing. Yeah, there's so much like education disruption and mm -hmm. there's this weird thing that the people that we are saying that we love the most, we pay and treat the people who take care of those people the worst, like in mm -hmm. care homes, in daycares, mm -hmm. like all of these people who are like holding babies and taking care of sick people, the people who are the most vulnerable to this disorder. Right. And they don't have days where, and like if you're listening mm -hmm. from another country, we don't have guaranteed sick days. Like you have yeah. to work for a corporation of a certain amount of people before you can stay home if you're sick. Otherwise, you can mm -hmm. be fired if you're an at will state or you just don't get paid. And yeah. Yeah, there's no safety nets on that. <laughs> yeah, because we do have like the family medical leave, but you're not eligible for that until you've been there for a year. So mm -hmm. And you have to be a certain large enough company. Like small, right. small places do not have to adhere to right. those yeah. rules. And you also only get paid a certain percentage of your income during mm -hmm. that time. It's a very small amount of time. So if you are living paycheck to paycheck and you're trying to afford rent and food and your medications and mm -hmm. all the other stuff, yeah, this is, this is where it's a, a point where I think we have to start asking this question. Like, even if you're like, um, someone disagrees with everything we're saying, even if you're like Medicare mm -hmm. for all is BS, I shouldn't have to pay for someone else's care. Even if you're that mm -hmm. person and you're saying this, 
you are also setting yourself up for getting sick because if the sick people can't get care, they Mm -hmm. still are going to, you still have a higher chance of getting infected if we don't have something set up so that everyone gets care and can stay home when they're sick. Right. That is my soapbox for today. (laughs) Thank you. No, it's a good soapbox. My TED talk for the day with a wonderful policymaker of the future. I'm really, really excited to see what you're going to end up doing. Yeah, it's, well, I got into grad school, so we'll see where we go, <laughs> but. Well, keep in touch with us, and if you want to yeah. come back on the show, if you're like, you know what, I've learned some new things about Medicare for All, either mm-hmm. way, I mm-hmm. I do not believe that going into anything blind is smart. Like, we should know what all the pitfalls falls are, where yeah. other countries have fallen down, where they've succeeded. We should know all of it as we're making policy. So if you're finding out new information, you want to come back on, you're like, hey, I learned this. Or I know this expert who wants to come on, please keep us updated. I only know what I know from like talking to policymakers, talking to people from other countries. So I'm really excited to bring anyone on who has more information on this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We've gotten to an hour. Is there anything (laughs) that I did not cover with you as I went into a tirade? (laughs) No, I think that's definitely is like covered a lot and a lot of very important stuff. I think so too. And I'm so glad you, we were able to, to get our schedule synced up. This is wonderful. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Um, see you next week. I think it's Eva next week. So enjoy that and, uh, be kind, be gentle and really be kind and be gentle. Uh, this has been a crazy news cycle. So be really kind and gentle with everyone and be a badass in whatever way that looks like for you. All right. Okay.